0: Happy Hump Day, everybody. Welcome into the Field Goals Podcast. Dan Viennes joining you once again. And joining me once again, my good friend from Niners Nation, Rob Guerrera, because we got to talk 49ers, Seahawks, Thursday night football. Uh, It's been about 10 weeks since we spoke, Rob. How are things uh, over on the East Coast where you are?
1: We're hanging in there.
0: uh, The question is, and we'll find out a lot more tomorrow as we do each week in the NFL, is can the Seahawks hang in there? Uh, it's incredible how much difference a week or two can make in this league. Certainly 10 weeks. Last time the Seahawks met, week two, a dominating, convincing performance by the 49ers at the time, 27-7. to 7. Just Geno Smith's second start with the Seahawks at that time. Still major question marks as to whether he could be a viable quarterback for the Seahawks. The 49ers get off to an uneven start after that But after that three and four start, they've won six straight. Uh, They're positioned clearly on top of the NFC West Um, at nine and four. The Seahawks have stumbled after that four-game win streak where they beat their opponents um, by double digits in four straight games. They have lost three out of four. And suddenly, because the Seahawks dropped that game to the Panthers on Sunday, this game's been shaping up for the last month or so to, to have an impact on the NFC West division title. Now the Seahawks are just playing for their playoff lives and need to win just to stay a game behind the 49ers. But first I want to start with this, and then we have a lot of specifics to talk about and some some real individual player storylines in this one for sure. What really keyed the turnaround for the 49ers? And and generally, I mean, this is a team rolling on offense, averaging almost 30 points a game over the last six, and that includes a 13-point performance against the Saints. Where do you see this team right now? And um, and what's been the key to this six-game winning streak?
1: Well, first and foremost, the defense. So this defense has been absolutely incredible. During this six-game win streak, they're giving up just 11 points a game. I mean, I don't care what kind of offense you have. If your D is only giving up 11, chances are you're going to be able to win some games. So everything starts there. And then offensively for the Niners, what you've seen is, even with people in and out of the lineup, including the quarterback, the ground game has been incredibly consistent. They've gone over 100 yards, in, I think it's seven of their last nine games. They're re- For whatever reason, it takes Kyle Shanahan and this ground game weeks to sort of gel, even when the offensive line is mostly the same. But now they have, and because of the defense and the ground game, they're controlling the clock, they're controlling the pace of games, and it's really just helped them move the ball up and down the field consistently.
0: Uh, should we just end this show now? I mean, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Seahawks given up 200 yards on the ground routinely the last couple of weeks. That's yeah. obviously the storyline in this game. But, but before we get into some injury um, situations, um, talk about the impact Christian McCaffrey has had. Um, obviously questions about his durability when the trade was made, and that's probably the biggest personnel change since you and I talked last, uh, other than the quarterback position, which we'll get to. Um, his impact and his fit in this offense.
1: So he has been absolutely incredible better than I even thought he was going to be. Now he's been a little banged up and they sort of have to manage him during the week. But once he gets out there since week 10, 41% of his carries have gone for 15 yards or more. That's how incredible he has been to this offense. And in that same time span, he has more receiving yards than any other running back in the league. So, as perfect a fit as the 49ers could have hoped for is what Christian McCaffrey has been. He's got seven total touchdowns and six starts with the team. He has become very, very quickly the centerpiece of this offense. And it's been amazing to see because again, like he's sort of had to learn everything on the fly as we go, but he has been everything. Every 49er fan could have hoped for
0: and fantasy football fans. And this is the, the first week of the playoffs for a lot of people. So what you're saying is with this matchup, Christian McCaffrey owners are in good shape.
1: Yeah, uh, no worries there.
0: (laughs) Unfortunately, I was a Christian McCaffrey owner, missed the playoffs by one game. I won't get to benefit from that this week. Uh, Let's talk about um, Debo Samuel first before we get to the quarterback because uh, obviously he goes down with an injury last week that looked at the time, based on his reaction, more severe than it was. He's obviously not going to play Thursday. Uh, There's a chance he might get back in time for the playoffs. It sounds like his impact or the impact of his absence tomorrow night against Seahawks.
1: It's significant. I mean, clearly they're going to be worse without Debo Samuel. Anytime you lose somebody like that, you're never going to be the same. Luckily for the 49ers, though, like we just talked about, Christian McCaffrey's still there, Kittle's there, Ayuk is there, Jordan Mason, even the backup running back, has been pretty solid for them. So it's a loss for sure but it's not unsustainable. Now, if they didn't have Christian McCaffrey, then you'd really start to sweat a little bit. Yeah. So it just, you know, puts more pressure on 23's shoulders, but they'll be able to sustain it because he's there.
0: And because they're going up against the Seahawks rushing defense. Uh, let's let's get to the quarterback now. Um, obviously, in week two against the Seahawks, um, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has to come off the bench and, uh, uh and, and play, uh, a situation that, that not a lot of people saw coming. And once he got his feet under him was playing well, I would say from an observer from afar looking, looking inward at the 49ers playing Jimmy Garoppolo football about what you'd expect. It was never really the storyline week to week. They didn't win or lose because of him, but he operated that offense efficiently. If, if, if that's fair. And then he goes down with an injury. And Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, Iowa State, rookie, uh, a guy I'm familiar with because he, he played uh, in the Alamo Bowl as a freshman um, with uh, David Montgomery was on that team. He, he, he had a good team there, but he was never a guy that jumped off the page or was a highly rated NFL prospect, which is obviously why he went at the end of the second, seventh round. He has been nothing short of phenomenal these last couple of weeks and has taken the league by storm in a, in a much more condensed version of Kind of the way Geno Smith did earlier this year. How is he doing it, and is this just another example of of Kyle Shanahan's offense, and how it doesn't really take an elite talent at quarterback to run it, but just a guy that 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 runs the offense the way it's supposed to be run.
1: I think that's definitely part of it, right? He's in a great system, and he has talent around him that can't be overlooked. But just from a from Brock's standpoint, a couple of things that I've seen that I like so far. First of all, from an intangible standpoint, he's fantastic. He knows the system. He's not afraid to, you know, get people lined up where they need to go, take control of the huddle, all of that stuff that you like to hear from someone who's played four years in college and has a lot of football under his belt. That's awesome. In terms of the tangible stuff, the physical stuff on the field, the encouraging thing is he does not look to hit singles. He looks to hit doubles, and he looks at those, First, he's looking down the field Hmm. first, as opposed to Jimmy Garoppolo, who usually looks for the closest open player to him and throws it to that guy. Brock hasn't done that. And he's also got a little bit more mobility than Jimmy Garoppolo. So he's able to extend plays a little bit, move around. He doesn't seem to panic under pressure. And so when you've got that combination, there are going to be bigger plays down the field, especially against all these defenses that for years against the 49ers have just been cheating closer and closer to the line of scrimmage because they know that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to go over the top. Case in point, last week Brock Purdy had two touchdown passes thrown 20 or more air yards down the field outside the numbers. That's more than Jimmy Garoppolo's had in the past three years. So that just goes to show Brock is doing this in a different way. And right now, and again, it's a very, very small sample, But right now, he's giving you exactly what you
0: need. It's interesting because the knock on him coming out of college was he didn't have the big arm. He wasn't a guy that you could drive the ball downfield with. So um, interesting to see how he's fit in that offense um, so far. Uh, (laughs) As a Seahawks fan, you talk about small sample size. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind is maybe – Maybe he'll come back down to Earth because I remember Nick Mullins coming up here to Lumen Field and tearing us apart a few years ago, and I, I thought he was going to be the next big thing. Let's talk about Brock though. He uh, he dinged himself Sunday, um, had to come out. I think he returned to the game at one point, um, but the game was in hand. Obviously, they they blew out the Buccaneers in that one. Um, He's got an oblique injury. He's been a limited participant in practice. They're saying uh, it's going to be a game-time decision. What are you hearing about his availability tomorrow?
1: So Kyle Shanahan's been a little cheeky. He says, oh, we might not know until Thursday. I think he's going to play. Uh, is he banged up? Yes, but Kyle Shanahan also said that it's not something that's going to be made any worse. It's going to be more of a pain-tolerance exactly. type of thing, and Damn. we all know that they got plenty of of medicines on the sidelines that they can give to people Mm -hmm. to get them through a game and from the 49ers perspective with so much at stake in this game I mean a chance to close out the NFC West which would you know Niners would be the first team in the league to clinch their division which is kind of incredible when you consider everything that's happened to this team this year but that would secure their playoff spot for them where they could take the last three weeks of the season and uh, you know not that it's meaningless, but you'd be playing for seeding rather than a playoff spot at that point, which for the Niners has been very, very different because it's come down to the wire for them in recent history. Yeah. So I think with all that at stake, Brock's going to find a way to play out there. And I think the ideal thing for the Niners would be another situation like last week where then they could get him out of there relatively early and then he'd have you know that mini bye week to sort of recuperate.
0: Just another reason why I'm sure they'll be looking to, to lean on that ground game. You would think with an oblique injury, if it's going to affect a quarterback at all, it might affect his, his accuracy, um, his ability to really turn it loose, especially on what's going to be a very cold night at Lumen Field temperatures in the, in the upper thirties. Um, so it will be chilly here. Let me, let me ask you this. It has been a house of horrors up here, uh, in recent years for the 49ers, nine of the last 10, the only win up here, the one in 2019, which ended up being for the division in their favor. Um, Any concerns about whether this atmosphere, Thursday night football lumen field in front of this crowd um, might be a challenge for the young quarterback.
1: Yeah, I think you have to, right? I mean, it's a challenge for any quarterback, let alone now we're talking, you know, seventh round rookie, Mr. Irrelevant, all of that stuff. And, you know, it's funny. This was sort of the path that we were supposed to see with Trey Lance, right? We were going to say, okay, how does he handle the blitz? Brock Purdy checked that box because the Dolphins blitzed the heck out of him. How did he handle coverage? Well, Tampa Bay kind of stayed back sometimes and played coverage, and Brock looked pretty good there. But those are both home games, right? Now he's got to go on the road. Now this is the next sort of test, right, playing in a hostile environment. Maybe it's going to be cold, like you said. So I can't tell you how it's he's going to handle it. I think it is going to affect him because how could it not silent count, all that stuff. But like I said before, with the intangibles with Brock seem to be pretty good. So if he is rattled, does he feel comfortable having to call his own play? If he can't hear it, all that stuff, I think he will be, but we won't know until we see it. And I I'm kind of looking forward to it because it is going to be a big test.
0: Let's talk about a couple other, um, Injuries on the defensive side of the ball, cornerback Dante Johnson out for the year, ACL injury, Kevin Givens, defensive tackle, looks to be out for this game as well. Um, I think that's an MCL, if I'm not uh, mistaken. Yes. Uh, what impact, if any, will this have on uh, on the San Francisco defense? Uh,
1: the Givens injuries... More important, I would say, the defensive line is just so banged up right now. The Niners had a few guys get hurt last week, and they, they were already dealing with some injuries. Fortunately, Eric Armstead will be in there in the middle, so he can hold it down. Nick Bosa will be available on the outside, which is nice. But the Niners' defensive line depth is getting tested. You know, the the whole idea was we'll build this team in the offensive line, and then we'll go at people in waves. Well, the waves kind of not it's pretty calm seas right now for the 49ers they have bosa they have armstead and then they can throw a couple of guys at you but they don't have sort of the reserves that they once had so it's not a full strength 49ers defensive front by any means but fortunately there are still some mainstays there that are very formidable that i think are going to give the seahawks some problems
0: Did you ever see it getting this point? I mean, we were talking about Trey Lance being a franchise quarterback at the beginning of the season. The the 49ers traded a boatload to move up and get him in the draft last year. He goes down with an injury. Then Jimmy Garoppolo comes in. After all that offseason turmoil and and the storyline of whether he would even come back or be released or traded, then he has to save the day again. And now you're down to your third-string quarterback. Even going into this season with Trey Lance, did you expect us to be talking about a team here that that, with good quarterback performance is being talked about as a not just a Super Bowl contender, but even with as well as Philadelphia's playing, some people are saying um, might be the favorite in the NFC to go to the Super Bowl.
1: I did think the roster had that kind of talent on it. The only question for a lot of 49er fans was, okay, how good is Trey going to be and how quickly can he be that good? That was really the only... Uh, question, you know, can he protect the ball, that type of thing. And largely this season, the 49ers quarterbacks have protected the ball, which is something that is very, very different under Kyle Shanahan. I think coming into the year, if you look at the entire Shanahan tenure, the Niners were something like minus 36 or minus 32 in turnover differential. That's what had crushed them was that they just couldn't protect the ball. This year they've protected the ball. So when you have a defense that's allowing Basically, a touchdown a game or two touchdowns a game, and you're not giving the ball to the other team, you're going to be in a lot of ball games. And that's exactly what's happened for the 49ers in the six game win streak. They have 12 takeaways and just three giveaways. So, if you had told me at the beginning of the year that Trey Lance was at least going to be able to protect the ball, I would have thought that the Niners would be in this sort of nine, 10 win area because this roster is absolutely loaded.
0: Yeah, and the schedule is forgiving as it can yes. be uh, down the stretch. This matchup tomorrow night, which which uh, to me just doesn't look like a matchup that favors the Seahawks or, or really gives them much of a chance in any way, shape, or form. And then you go Commanders, Raiders, Cardinals to finish out. Um, highly realistic this team can finish with 13 wins. Um, if Purdy's not able to go tomorrow night, it's Josh Johnson, right? Yeah. The well-traveled... <laughs> Josh Johnson. I've always, I wonder what this dude's man cave looks like. You know, players always keep jerseys of teams they've played for for frame and put them on the wall. Um, This guy's 30 for 30 is going to be remarkable. (laughs) Uh, I've lost track of how many teams he's played for and, and uh, how quickly he's had to, to learn playbooks over and over. But this is, is this his second turn with the 49ers or has there been more than two?
1: Uh, I think this is his – now, he hasn't played with them every time. I want to say it's his third or fourth term. Yeah,
0: it feels with, like he's been yeah. on that roster a lot.
1: Yeah, and and it's kind of scary to think that literally, like, you know, he, he could be running the show at some yeah. point on Thursday if, if Brock, you know, can't go or maybe he gets hit early and has to leave for a little bit. And the, the crazy thing is he's only been with the Niners for a couple of weeks and San Francisco is not doing any – live reps this week it's all rest Mm -hmm. and recovery stuff they're not doing any full speed practices so let's say josh johnson has to play for any period of time on thursday he will literally not have had a full speed rep with this team that he's been for or been with for two weeks that is a scary situation but you know what dan like given all the stuff that has happened this year for this 49ers team, it would not shock me at all because it would fit in perfectly with how this season is gone.
0: Let me ask you this. Where do you see this rivalry being right now? Because obviously during the Harbaugh years, um, it was very intense, very evenly matched teams, two elite teams in the NF NFC going at each other year after year um, and and you could feel that intensity anytime these teams played. It's Wayne since then. Obviously, the, the, the record went in favor of the Seahawks for many years. It feels... Well, before I give you my take, where do you feel like this rivalry, if it is one, stands right now?
1: I think that the cool thing about the Seahawks-Niners rivalry from back in the day, the Harbaugh years, was... It was just as much a rivalry for the players. It was a rivalry between the players. It was a rivalry between the coaches, between the what's your deal, Jim Harbaugh, Mm -hmm. Pete Carroll stuff, going all the way back to when they were both in college. On every level, there was dislike there. And I think now it exists primarily among the two fan bases. Nick Bosa talked about this week how he doesn't feel it among the players as much. He actually said he feels it more going against the Rams than the Seahawks. So I think that it has transitioned now. We remember, because fans, fans don't forget, right? The right. North remembers. We will never forget those battles that they have had. But a lot of those players are gone. Of course, Russ being gone is a huge, huge change for yeah. this thing. So I think it's more now a rivalry between fan bases than it is necessarily between organizations. What do you think?
0: I, th- I kind of think it's in a weird gray area right now. Like it's almost on pause. It's flipped so quickly. You know, when, since that, the heyday of it and the, the Carol Harbaugh connection, um, you know, the 49ers went through some tough times while the Seahawks were sort of a perennial borderline playoff team. Um, the shift in the last couple of weeks here, as we went through that four game winning streak and started to think, playoffs were possible, maybe even a shot at the division before the 49ers got rolling. This game meant everything. Yep. Suddenly in the last two weeks with what we've seen three weeks, really with the performance at home against the Raiders for this team, and then eking one out against the Rams and just this defense back to being shredded every week. Like it was the first three or four weeks of the season. It's just, I sense no optimism that, that this game, is one the Seahawks can win. And I also sense a resignation on the part of the fan base that that 49ers roster is so good and that defense is so good and it's built to last that there was a moment a couple of weeks ago when Garoppolo went down where there was some hope. Seeing how well Brock Purdy has played has just kind of pointed out how good this offense can be regardless of who plays quarterback, as long as they're capable. Um, I would use that word. There's a resignation here that, man, this thing has turned and now we're the team that's chasing and how they address this roster in the offseason the next couple of seasons will determine if this rivalry kind of moves forward in the next couple of years or not.
1: I'm surprised to hear you say that. I mean, like you said, Seattle has been a house of horrors for the 49ers. Even when they had Super Bowl teams in 2012, you absolutely destroyed the Harbaugh team that year. Yep. When the 49ers have been good, they still have not really been able to play that well in Seattle, except for that 2019 game, which was, you know, six inches away from going to the Seahawks anyway. So if I were a Seahawks fan, I'd be like, okay, you never play well here. You're coming in with Brock freaking Purdy. You know, it's not going to be a normal game. Something weird is going to happen. It always happens. I mean, even last year, Yeah, last year, The 49ers forced two turnovers inside the five-yard line and still lost, right? They had that 95-yard drive from Jimmy Garoppolo at the end of the game that got all the way down to, like, the Seattle two- or three-yard line, and then the Seahawks held firm. It's not going to be a normal game. So, I, you're more comfortable in this situation than I am. I'm nervous already.
0: Well by this time tomorrow, I think you'll feel better or about by, <laughs> by 36 hours from now. It, it's just, I think it speaks to how demoralizing it is when, uh, when you just don't feel like your defense can stop anybody. And, and this defensive performance from uh, Pete Carroll's crew and whatever you can attribute it to, whether it's a, a failed scheme change or whether they just don't have enough horses over there or a combination of the two, which is where I land. Um, it just, it looks like an unstoppable force is coming to town, an offense that's been rolling and, and firing on all cylinders going against a, a defense that that for the last six weeks has been the worst defense in the NFL and, and for most of the season has been, uh, except for a little blip on the radar there for three or four weeks. So um, a lot of things would have to go poorly. Early. It reminds me a lot of people forget the tip game. The NFC championship game here started very badly for the Seahawks. I think it
1: fumble. I think it was a First 10 play. nothing.
0: It was a Russell Wilson fumble and wasn't there a blocked punt early as well. Um, it was a 10 nothing hole they had to dig out of and come back late in that game. Um, people forget about the drive to get him in position to win to take the lead before the tip ended up happening. Uh, something like that would have to happen to where the Seahawks could play from ahead, which is something they haven't been able to do recently. And maybe that just kind of amplifies the problems on defense. What, since the last time we talked, a lot has happened here in regards to our quarterback and who would have thought, first of all, that Geno Smith would have the season he's having, but also that he would be the last quarterback standing in the NFC West from the outside looking in, what are your views on on his performance this year and just kind of how that, that storyline here in Seattle about the quarterback position has changed?
1: I'm still blown away because I know he's, you know, hit some turbulence here recently, but gino has been making good throws, big plays all year long. And I think, you know, we're at the point in the season now where there is so much film available from what teams are doing that defenses have had time to see it, analyze it and adjust to it. And so now where I think Gino is, is he's at the point where, okay, they've adjusted to me. What separates the good quarterbacks from the great ones. Can Geno and the Seahawks now adjust again to stay one step ahead of the defenses and keep this sort of going a little bit. And maybe he can, maybe he can't, but that's to me where Gino is. I don't look at it now and say, see, I knew Geno Smith was bad, and this proves it. That's not how I look at it at all. It's just, okay, nobody was ready for Geno Smith to burst onto the scene at the beginning of the year. So I think there was, you know, at first defensive coordinators were like, yeah, okay, he's doing some things. And then they realized, oh, shoot, this is real. Like this guy's playing up to this level. So now they've adjusted. And now I think the last four or five games of the year for Seattle, if I were a Seahawks fan, I would say, okay, let's see if he can make that counter adjustment here. And I I think he can. He's got to avoid the turnovers. That seems to be the thing that has really crushed him recently is if you're turning the ball over, like you said, and, and you've got defensive problems, then you're playing complimentary football. But unfortunately, it's complimentary for your opponent. And that's when things can really sort of snowball on you.
0: Yeah, I think it's, and he admitted it uh, this week that he maybe he's been a little too aggressive. It's really his first experience in the league um, having everything be, be on his shoulders and and having some success for a sustained period. And, and um, it's amazing how quickly perceptions changed. It's, you know, the first six weeks, seven weeks of the season was about learning that Geno Smith is actually really good at playing football. And the last few weeks have been, oh, okay, now it's all on his shoulders because the Seahawks' running game has been abysmal and they've been playing from behind. And um, and so he's the only thing they have going for him. It's, it's incredible how quickly it turned here locally. A lot of fans this week think that he played terribly on Sunday and are pinning the loss on him. Yes, he had a couple turnovers early, but he's also the only reason that they even had a chance in the fourth quarter to win that game. And he actually, outside of a couple of throws, played exceptionally well. And, and was doing the things that he had done all year to be successful and making throws that a lot of other quarterbacks in the league can't make. Um, it'll be fascinating to see. And and each week this year has just been, in my mind, just another test for Geno Smith, and he's passed most of them. Now he's going to go in, in a really important game. He's going to go up against the best defense in the NFC, if not the entire NFL Um the jury's not out. To me, I'm convinced. This is a guy you can win with for the next couple of years, and you don't need to pour a lot of resources in the draft this year into trying to to take a shot at a quarterback. But just another really good test on a national stage for Geno against that defense.
1: And I think, honestly, if you had gone into this season before the year started and said, hey, if, if nothing else this season will tell you where you stand at quarterback, mm. I would have taken that if I was a Seahawks fan. I think you've, like you said, there's enough data here and enough good things happening to say, this is a guy that we can win with. And if you do have all those problems defensively, maybe that's where you need to focus your resources in the off season. So yeah, I I still think it's a house money thing for Seattle. I know that like you're in the mix of the playoffs and you're definitely still competing for a playoff spot, but you found out about your quarterback. You found out about a couple other players. You clearly have a running back, assuming uh, Kenneth Walker can stay healthy you've got, he's definitely a player there. So you found out some things about this season, you know, teams go through stages, building stages and where you are in your, in your development, so to speak. And I think the Seahawks are clearly on the upswing this year, which is not something I would have said on the way in. So let's see what Gino can do this week and see how this, the season finishes up here. I mean, it's not going to be boring for Seattle. And if I told you at the beginning of the year, the last four weeks of the season were going to matter and be exciting, I think you would have taken it.
0: Yeah. Uh, 55% their playoff uh, chances uh, according to 538.com. After the uh, Panthers loss, it drops to the mid-30s if they lose tomorrow night to the 49ers. It'll be nothing if not entertaining, and hopefully your nervousness will be warranted uh, for the fan base here in Seattle as they go out on a cold night to Lumen Field and uh, try to shock the world and pull off an upset against the 49ers. Rob Guerrero, Niners Nation, um, thanks again for joining me. We'll uh, we'll get together and chat this offseason. I love your perspective on the NFC West as a whole, and as we uh, look at the offseason, I think the 49ers are going to face... We thought we were going to go into Garoppolo versus Lance part two, perhaps there were already some growing sentiment and some reports and some whispers that Garoppolo might be interested in coming back this again for another round next year, even as a free agent. Now you have Brock Purdy playing lights out. Who knows what's going to happen next year, but there will be plenty to talk about for sure. Um, well, we'll keep an eye on this one. Thanks again for joining me and we'll do this again soon. All right, man. Anytime you need me, Dan. All right. That's going to do it for us. Thursday night football on, uh, teed up There's uh, tomorrow night. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, um, then we've got kind of the, the half break week, make sure and tune in for, uh, not only my rapid reaction show right after the game, I'll give you my thoughts on how things went. And then Monday, Michael Thomas is going to join me and we're going to do a live mock draft. We are going to look ahead and take a little bit of an advantage of that break. And, um, uh, and work together on building a seven-around Seahawks mock draft and see how that might look uh, with the current picks that they have. Until then, I'm Dan Vians This is the Field Goals Podcast. We'll talk to you tomorrow night.